Released on Sunday, May 3rd, 2015, This Agile Life, Episode 83, The Price is Right! The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. Well, we've got a treat today because guess what, everybody? Tonight it is just myself, Jason Tice, and one other person. That is, introduce yourself. Craig Buchak, come on down. Oh my goodness, it's like the price is right tonight. And so, yes, it's just the two of us tonight. And when Craig and I first connected on Skype, Craig, should we should we tell people how we, we, we started to form our mental model for the evening? What did we do? Uh, I'm not sure what we did. You don't remember? It was like <laughs> just the two of us. Oh, that's right. And it was, oh, it was. We started we, singing. Yeah, I noticed. I probably won't do that now that we're recording, though. And see, I guess I'm not afraid to do anything. So I have not, as we talked, but we talked to uh, Renee Troughton. It's not, I, it's not so much fear as uh, don't want to, you know, hurt the listeners' ears. Really? See, I guess when we had Renee Troughton on on our last episode, episode 82, you know, she talked about people who have yet to lose their inner child. And I guess that that unfortunately describes me. Oh, I'm one of those people, too, though. But you won't sing on a podcast? Come on. <laughs> Ready? Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Okay, so hey, we got we're we're increasing our entertainment value here on this Agile Life. We've got Lee who could do Winnie the Pooh and Elvis, oh, and um, Craig is now available to do. Uh, he's the he's the new wedding singer that's going to be in demand for 2015. So you know you want to connect with Craig now because I'm sure he's the guy you want to come out and do your wedding. Nice. Did didn't you make John Sextra do that like a week or two ago? I can't get John to do anything because everyone knows that John, oh. John's just too busy asserting his dominance. Oh, he, he's a benevolent. You know, I think he said that in joke the first time. He's a you, benevolent you take it dictator. I know it's just become the oldest joke. We got to retire that one. So, but, yeah. but all kidding aside, so Craig and I are here tonight and this is kind of neat because Craig, you've been busy lately. And so as we've been keeping the, uh, the release train of this agile life rolling, you've been consuming some of our content and you have a few thoughts on a few of the things that we might have said on recent episodes. And so, right. for, so for discussion tonight, we thought we'd run some of these down. And so I know I said a few things that uh, you have some questions about. So why don't you tell us where you want to start tonight? All right. So most of these are things that you guys called me out. Um, so in episode 78, you guys talked about TDD, or at least you were going to talk about it, then decided that you really didn't have very different opinions from each other. And you guys but talked we, about it a little bit, but no, we but, talked about it for 12 minutes still. So that was yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so I actually have a bigger, a, a more different, a bigger difference in opinion than, than that group of people did. Um, you guys basically said, always, always test, always do TDD. And I disagree with that. Um, I say only do TDD when the benefits outweigh the costs. Now, I don't think any of you guys would actually disagree with that. Um, now, the problem is that the, the costs rarely outweigh the benefits. I think most people 
um, underway the benefits of TDD or testing in general. Um, and I think the discussion also kind of mixed up testing and TDD um, and, and probably rightly so. There, there are benefits to testing and there are additional benefits to, benefits to testing first or driving your design with tests. Um, so I guess the first question is that I would need to answer before determining when the benefits don't outweigh the costs. How, how, what is that cost? What does it cost to do TDD or testing? Do, do we actually know? Do we have any empirical studies on that? Is that a question for me? Or I guess that number yes. one, that's a great question for any of our listeners to let us know and, you know, contact us at, you know, via Twitter at this agile life. Ah, boy. So I didn't realize this was going to be a, uh, a agile <laughs> white paper test tonight. So that's tough. Um, because what you, what you don't really see, um, or what I have, what I'll share I've seen is organizations that is part of a transformation they embrace the practice of, of of testing as part of development. Let's just call let's call it where they're testing as part of development and not say it's necessarily true test driven development. Is that okay? Sure. And what they see is they do see over time the shift to where the amount of I want to say release testing. So you know all the traditional manual test activities that many times were at one point the only test activities they shift away from that to where if they have defects, they find those sooner in the development process when it is less costly to fix those. And so I, that's the benefit, but what's the cost? Well, so the cost is, that's a, it's a cost savings, I guess is what I'm describing. No, no, no. Well, well, but that's, you, you, you take the cost and you subtract the benefit. And you end up with the cost savings because you end up negative with more benefit than cost. Yes. But first of all, we need to know the cost. Well, so the cost is there was some additional time incurred as part of the development to write those tests. Right. And, and if you're not doing any type of testing as part of your development, you would not do that work. And instead, you would code, you would finish the code, and then you would test it later on. So you would get to, the, you could. Could is a key word here. You could get to that some element of that test step faster. But at that point, that test step, since your test at that point is not automated, is going to be more expensive to execute. So what ballpark, what do you think it cost us in time to do testing to, for the developers to write tests. The developers write tests. And, and to be fair, we're talking unit testing and maybe some type of of functional testing in the code. So this is code testing. Um, I am not, I'll share, Craig, I guess I've been in that environment where we've been doing that so long and or we're in an environment where we're, we, we introduced that practice very early on. I have a hard time answering that question. I mean, yeah, how about, I, can I, you? I wish we had, I mean, I've seen the numbers for pairing and the cost of pairing is about 15%. Um, but I don't recall ever seeing any numbers um, on the cost of, of testing. Um, I mean, the only thing is I could say, and I know some of the things we've talked about, you know, as good solid design principles for, for code is that if you, you know, you keep, you keep methods small, 
ideally I should be able to go in and write a test or modify a test for a method very quickly. So if your code is not architected that way, so you're, you're kind of saying where, hey, I've got, leg I've got a bunch of code that has no tests, I'm going to start testing and I'm going to start refactoring, that is going to take time. If you're starting Greenfield and you do it the right way from day one and you keep your code clean and you keep your tests clean, the additional time required to write these tests should be minimal. Does that make okay. sense? I, I found some numbers. Oh, okay. luckily, luckily, I blogged about it when I found them the last time. Um, so and I'll, I'll post these to the show notes. Um, so does test driven development really improve software design quality? Um, what do these, so what do these studies tell us? They tell us TDD costs about 10 to 30% in short-term productivity. All right, so there's your cost. Basically about 20, 10, 10 to 30%. So you're telling um, me that if there's I... There's our cost. Whoa, 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 but I don't agree with that because that, that goes against what I just said before, whereas if I'm doing TDD the right way, I'm going to be able to complete and deliver my work faster. So, yes, my development activities may take a little bit longer because I have to write those tests as I'm writing the code. But long term, because then I have those tests, I'm going to be able to deliver faster. So, right, right. So that but that's that delivering faster is, is due to some other benefit besides the cost. Well, but but again, right? so that's that's, for, that's part of the, 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 the benefit. So the benefits are reducing bugs by 30 to 90 percent. And decreasing code complexity by about thirty percent. Well, put this way, I, that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge that because that assumes you have a team that accepts the feedback that the tests provide. So if, again, let's let's talk about the scenario where you're starting to write tests on code that is not tested, and because you never had that challenge, it doesn't force you to refactor the code. So, okay, I could go in, I could take a really long method, and I could figure out how to test it without refactoring it. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. So. It's going to be, but it's going to be really it's hard. Funny. Yeah, yeah, you laughing. Again, that's where you, again, you and I, it's hard to talk about this because we understand this, but that's where we could technically do it. And I've seen people do this. What it needs to be, though, is where, hey, okay, I go into test. Wow, that test was really hard to write. That's that's the process of writing a test, giving the team or the developer feedback that, hey, your architecture is not loosely coupled. You need to go start making incremental changes to make your code cleaner. And that's to be where as a as a developer, you need to be committed to improving the quality of your code so that you decide to do that. If you say, nope, I wrote a test and I can even run my code coverage and I could see that the changes I made to the code are covered by the test that I just wrote and the method is still 280 lines long and I could commit and ship. Guess what? People do that, Craig. Right. I, I mean, I know you don't. Um, even when I develop, I don't. But there are people that do that. And so so that, you're talking about the difference between test-driven, primarily, and just just writing tests. Well, I'm just saying, and, and even even just test-first versus test-driven. Test-first, you can write the test first, you can make the code work, and then not refactor. That would be test-first, but it would not be test-driven. The the part you said about where you get feedback from the test—that's the test-driven part. Yeah, but even still, I think put this way: even if you're writing a test after the fact. But it's like, hey, okay, 
you know, I'm on a team. We have agreements to say we're going to write unit tests and we do not write them first. Okay. So, okay. I go in, I make a three line code change in a 280 line method. Perfect. And then I run my, and then I run my code coverage and it says, your new change is not covered by test because it's new. So that makes sense. Then it actually takes me longer to write those tests because the code is not clean. I think that's where people say, you know, this is too hard. And they give up on the practice of any type of automated testing as part of development, regardless yeah, I, of if it's TDD or if it's just unit testing. True. And, and the hard part's always up front, right? Well, yeah, it's again, if, so, again, if it's so in if, some ways that cost is up front, but the benefits are longer term. So it's harder to see them. And yeah. Feel well, and I guess the other thing, too, that I'm saying when I think about my, my first scenario I described, which is, again, uh, maybe I've been hanging out with the Kanban guys too much, but. It's all about delivery. And the number one metric we should be tracking is, you know, cycle time to deliver. And at that point, what's important is, I mean, yes, you should do some analysis to say, okay, how much time am I spending to each step of my workflow? But the, the metric that really matters that gets us to cost is saying end to end, just get it done, cycle time. And so at that point, yes, you will take a little bit longer to write code, but long-term, you'll be able to release faster. So, um, so I don't know if that, if that clarifies anything for you, Craig, about, about that. I did want to ask you a, a follow-up question about one of your initial points you brought up, because I'd like to know, and, and, and I put it this way, I, I've worked with teams where, and I know Amos always says that we have working agreements where, hey, if we're spiking, we agree we don't do TDD, but we also agree we throw the code away as soon as the spike's done. And we don't, that way we, we aren't tempted to try to merge it in without test coverage. How do you manage your, can you give us an example of some working agreements you've used where you've been able to manage across a team policies about when to test and when not to test that have been, that have been able to be effective and, you know, someone doesn't start to break the rules? Um, I don't, I don't know if I've got any examples like that, but personally on my own projects where I do test, well, okay. I do test in most of my projects unless they're, um, experimenting, you know, spiking. Yeah. The spike rule, which is pretty common. Yeah. I mean, that's almost, um, uh, but when I'm writing real code, I do write tests, but I do not write tests for rails controllers. And you guys had mentioned, uh, you don't write tests for getters and setters. Um, I don't write tests for boilerplate, basically. And usually my controllers are boilerplate. There's not much going on that's not just like every other controller. There's nothing special to most of my controllers. If but, there is something special, I will actually add a test for it. Okay, so so I, what I'm hearing a lot in your statement there, Craig, I'm hearing, ooh, I'm hearing a very evil word in the Agile space. I'm hearing the word my code. I so, was talking about individual products. Okay, project, so... This way, if you're doing your own thing, I totally get that. I mean, and that's where you well, know, I can't, but I can't say that I do as I say, not as I do. I'm well, saying do as I do, and here's the cases where I don't write tests. Well, but that's you personally, and so this is where I think there is an it. This is a unique conversation if it's about your personal projects where you can single handedly make your own decisions without the need to collaborate and, and discuss pros and cons and trade offs. And it gets really hard to do that on this topic in particular the second you inject one other person. No, if I would advise teams to not test Rails controllers, I don't think there's anything going on in them. But then how? I, I think okay, they're boilerplate. Okay, I think that's they're boilerplate fine. enough 
Like, but on the other hand, if you know, it's just a simple for loop. Well, I will always test a simple for loop. So, Craig, I show up on your team as some new guy, okay? Really rusty Rails developer over here, okay? Call me that. How do I learn this stuff? Because what you're saying is you've got some design standards or some design patterns that, that either you've advocated for, maybe you've advocated for, and the, and the team has adopted then, hopefully. But I don't agree or I don't even know that, so I just start writing controllers that are, you know, 15 lines each because they got all kinds of logic in them that tell the controller what to do. Because <laughs> guess what? Some people write controllers like that, okay? So right. at that point, I come in, I start putting down the code base, and what happens? I, I see what you're saying. Uh, there's another point, actually, with Rails controllers that, that covers my ass. Um, that's that I have user acceptance level tests. So the yeah, well, controllers are actually exercised at that level. So there is a, a level of testing still involved. in. in yeah, well, and if, they, if, if we want to backlog a topic, there's a whole conversation about TDD in the Rails Ruby ecosystem. That's really, uh, yeah. that's a you. Um, I'd love to tag along, but I'm really not a, an expert in that field. But that's you, Amos, uh, Nate Mackey, who's sometimes on with us. Y- you guys need to have a conversation about that because I know I've put... Rails developers into a traditional object-oriented based test room development class, and they sit there for three days twiddling their yeah. thumbs because it's not relevant because it's it's a different beast if you're in the Rails ecosystem. So, yeah, there's there the Rails Rails has some problems. It's it's a great MVC framework, but it's not very object-oriented. Uh, models tend to uh, mix at least two, if not three, four, or five different uh, purposes in one class. So. That 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 makes problems makes makes it more difficult to test right. So so since uh, so since we've so I was I want to ask you a question though. So since we've identified the great way we can have awesome episodes of this at your life is to call other people out. I do want to know what you would do about this design the, this design pattern question I've asked you. Lee was supposed to join us for this episode, but he had something come up. So Lee, you know, would say no documentation of any kind. I know this having worked with Lee. And oh, Amos says the same thing. Well, okay. So, he, he won't even allow a one-line comment half the time. So I'm the rusty Rails guy that shows up on your team that says, you know what? I want to, I, I like Java. So I'm going to make my Rails controllers look like Java controllers. And they're going to have 15 lines at least of logic in there to tell the controller what to do, which... Again, I agree with you. Having know, knowing a little bit about Rails, that's not a good idea. But yes, I could technically do that. So, how do I learn from you that that's not a good idea on your team? Is that where you're going to just tell me, or would you actually write these down or something? So, um, unfortunately, a lot of that is tribal knowledge, but that's why we pair, right? So the tribal knowledge gets spread around really well, quickly. I, I would take it a step further. I would say that's why we share work. Maybe maybe it's not pairing. Maybe it's mobbing. Maybe it's something else. But it's it's where the whole thing that I guess I, I jumped on you for here in this conversation was when you were saying my code. So if you're on a team with at least two people, two real people, there is no my code. So in that case... Well, it's, it's all my code. It's all our code. Well, still, it should be our code, not shared, my code. It, well, it's shared ownership. It's still shared ownership. You know, your, your wife and you, I think we're in a common law, a common property state. Your wife and you both own everything that you own. Oh. Still call my, right? Can we have a, can we have a legal conversation here? <laughs> For everyone who's like not in a common property mm-hmm. state. Okay, we shouldn't do that. So, right. but okay. Uh, so... Uh, So, okay, first of all, I contend that there is a cost to writing tests. I And you know what? I would agree with that totally. But 
and and you have to weigh the cost against the benefit. The problem is that you're almost always going to um underweigh the benefit. You're you're usually going to get more benefit out of it than you realize. Um there there's a few cases where that's probably not the case. And that is um so the case where time to market is more important than anything else and you know more important than than quality. You just need to get something out be first to market. I don't think that ever really happens and and when you do that you say oh we're going to throw it away and we're going to you know as soon as we capture the market or whatever we're we're going to replace it with quality code. Okay, but time out. Your Craig. code is Craig, going Craig, to Craig, last Craig. a lot longer than you Craig, expect. Craig, stop talking about unicorns, okay? That doesn't ever happen. Oh, what? People always make that excuse. Well, I, I'm saying they make that excuse, but does the code ever get thrown away? No, no it's still no. It, 20 years right. later. It's still in prod. Okay. So right, right, right. that's where I want to make sure everyone understands look, it. Look, that, look that at Y2K. A, if you don't believe code can last longer than expected, look at Y2K. Yeah, but that's a unicorn. So if, if you're out there and you're on a team and you're struggling or, you're the, or you feel pressured by your product owner to say, hey, guys, just get it done real fast. This is where the team, and again, I've seen a lot of product owners, you know, they, they like to ride the team like a horse and they kick the horse until it dies, is they the team needs to be empowered and the team has a voice in saying, this is how we need to work to ensure we have a sustainable process. And so, hey, this thing might be the thing that makes or breaks our company. Yes, we know we need to get it done fast, but we also need to do it the right way because if it makes it, we don't want, we might not have the money to redo it, you know? So we, we gotta, we gotta be smart about it. So, well, but if you don't make it to, you know, win in the market, you're also not going to make any money. So you got, but see, to me, that goes back to exactly what I've been saying. And it, I guess it proves I've been drinking too many Kanban teenies with the Kanban guys is you gotta say, I gotta learn how to get my stuff out the door faster. And so at, at that point, Why? wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that agile has a way to make us faster. Yeah. It's called scrum. That's why we sprint. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, no, but what I'm saying, I thought agile was about quality. I, I, I didn't realize agile was, you could just, you know, turn up the, the crank and, and get people to go faster. Just well, by telling them to go faster. No, that's not what I'm saying, Craig. You got, you got it. You got to balance the approach. But a lot of times people struggle, and if anything, I see them, to their credit, they emphasize quality, which is good, but they emphasize quality at the cost, and they, they increase their cost of delay to release. So to me, that's where you got to keep that in check and say that I've got to accept the challenge to say that I, if I want to have true business agility, I've got to be able to release when I need to. And so at that point, you've got to make smart decisions that ensure that when you have something you're ready to release, you're able to do so without a lot of additional work, which drives the need for automated testing. Does that make sense? I, I think there are ways to choose the amount of quality you're, you're going to put into a, pro, a product. In fact, your company, you said, is one of the principles. Um, so I think you can choose to you know, imbue a product with less quality knowingly uh, if you have a, a, a good reason. Now, I don't think you'll, I, I think a lot of people think they have that good reason, but I don't think any of them do. I think, I think you're right. It is sort of unicorn where a lot of people think, you know, hey, I'm a special unicorn. 
Uh, we need to get this to market. We don't care how many bugs it has. We just need to get it out there. I, I think that's a mistake, but I think, I, I think that's, I think that's good reasoning. I think it's based on bad facts. Though. Well, or put a space. Let's do a podcast. We know we got listeners. Tell us a story, guys, or guys and gals out there. Tell us a story. You know, so Craig and I are saying, and again, I'm calling it a unicorn to say that this idea of, hey, you know, ship ship the prototype as fast as possible, and if it makes it big, you know, we're going to redo it. You so, know? yeah, and we'll I would like to hear from a- Because that, to me, I, I, I will go on record and say that I bet it has happened. I'm sure it's happened I, somewhere. I would like to hear a story where someone chose to dial back the quality, possibly by not doing testing or thoroughly testing or consciously choosing to have less code coverage of their tests. And I would like to hear any success stories of that. I, I think they're going to be few and far between. I don't even expect there to be a listener right now that, that has a story about that. Well, and here's the other one that I will share as That's well a, as kind of a listener and also a contributor. Is this is the other one that I know will win. Is if you measure your total investment between doing a project with automated testing whereby there's no there's no rework you know hence we build it right with automated testing test driven development from day one so to the point that you know what hey we've been working on it for three and a half months we've released it we've got a we've if it's a web product say we've got a half billion users it's awesome you know what we can just stop and we can walk away and we can just let it run and we can let it generate revenue for our business our business 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 and at that point guess all that is money in the bank if you do it right the first time, I guarantee you that your total investment to build that product will be less than if you kind of kick it out the door, get some data. Okay, hey, it looks like great. Let's go redo it now the right way. I guarantee even just because of the context change and the cost of delay, it will cost you less to do the testing the first time. I mean, does that make sense, Craig? Or do you think I'm... I mean, that's something that like the PMI even endorses um, in the PMI ACP curriculum for how to do agile. Uh, you threw me for a loop a little with the well, PMI. Well, I'm talking about PMI. But, um, that, that's, uh, that's for our friend John Sextra, who loves to talk about MBAs and how they don't know I don't know. I don't, there, know okay? my, I don't know what my mortgage insurance has to do with anything. Oh, anyways. Well, put, put um, it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you're sort of talking about the difference between uh, startups that take venture capital versus bootstrapping, sort of. Eh, kind of. Uh, I'm boot, just saying, bootstrapping, it, you know, usually ends up uh, more effective. Yeah, uh, slow yeah, but totally. slow but steady wins the race, too, right? Usually. Yeah. So, so I, I um, put put it this way. That's my. I, I would love to. Like I said, I think we agree on this idea that this whole saying that oh, we can, like you kind of said, completely forego testing and then come back and do it later. That's the one that I I'd love to hear the story of how you have a sustainable process with your team where you're able to do that in a repetitive fashion. All right. So I've got one other example of where I would condone not, not testing. Okay. Bring it on. Not, not, not automated testing. That's where writing, you have no test framework um, that will work in your situation and writing it is going to take longer than you have available. Um, let's hmm. see. You've got a language. Um, again, I think sometimes we we overestimate the cost and underestimate the benefits. So, Craig, here. Craig, what do you think I'm going to say to that? If you know my background, you're probably going to say write it anyway. And well, then, I put it and this way. then you've run out of money and you haven't even written any code. You're still working on the test framework. 
I'm going to say more from more as someone who focuses more on the business side. I'm going to say that sounds like an opportunity that if you're like in an emerging market or some, you know, new language. I, I remember when uh, I remember I was working, I was I was doing um, I was helping a group write um, Objective C training courses when Swift came out back in 2014. And it was like, well, what do we do? You know, the Swift, what's, what kind of test capabilities are in Swift? And we're like, well, you know, it's really kind of not there yet. I was like, well, is there an opportunity to, to build one and make it available? And it's a test framework. So right up front, I'll disclose, you're not going to sell it and make a lot of money because you're probably going to give it away. But guess what? You grow influence. And that, if you're in an organization, that could be invaluable. It's intangible value, but it could help you grow reach. It could help you find clients. It could help endorse other products you have. I mean, greatest example of that I think out there, Craig, you should know. It's the whole um, it's the whole Rails framework that basically drives the products that 37 Signals sells that they give away. So how big is your company? What? My company? That, that you work for, yes. That I work for? Uh, it's like 200 people. All right. So if you spend a developer few developer weeks your company can take that right yeah totally if if my company me just me one person took two weeks without getting paid that that would hurt me a lot more than it would hurt your company but it's way, that's a that's a business that, that's a that's a business discussion i mean it's I, a business decision right well it's a business decision it's how you want to run your business i mean if we had amos here so tonight that, let, that, let, that, so so you agree with me well no it is a business decision cost versus benefit whether I should write my own test framework. Well, I'm saying if you want to run a business and you want to, and, and the nature of your business, it could be strategic in nature. You've got to have reserves. So the way I was going to say in the, in the theme of the episode tonight is calling other people out. I know if Amos were here, Amos is Amos to his credit. You know, he said that he's got a plan where I remember he, he told a story once where he was looking for a job. And I was like, you know, I was like, Amos, you know, how are you surviving? He's like, oh, I got reserves. And I, I do this whole, like, you know, complete debt-free thing. You know, he's got all, you know, so he's got a plan. He, he sat down, he figured it out. And as a result, he has some flexibility. So, so that's, that's where Craig, I would say there's, there's an opportunity for I, you there. If you, I, I would say you need to check your privilege. You have that privilege. Your company has that privilege. Not all the listeners have that privilege. Well, yeah. Well, plus, wait, but you got to control your destiny. So, Craig, if you want to be able to do that and you have your own business, guess what? You're empowered to go figure out how to do that and start to have, you know, start to work at a margin where you can maintain a reserve and build up a reserve over time. It's going to take some time or you got to say, hey, is this a strategic thing that I want to go get money for? I mean, there's lots of crazy ways to get money these days where, you know, Kickstarter, you know, there's there's peer to peer loans. I mean, there's lots of ways to get money if you if you find something that you feel could be strategic and then it's a business decision do you want to do you want to do something to front it yeah but it's also a business decision should i give up the work i was getting paid to do hear that i'm getting paid to do a project for someone okay and now you're telling me to give that money up and find some other way to make money to make my test framework first but but think about it you build a test framework you know there's no but no, you build the test. There's framework. no but. That's cost benefit analysis. You, no, period. Time out. Okay, it's cost benefit, but some of the benefits are intangible. So you, Craig, you go out there and you take some emerging You're language. About unicorns. No, no. Come on, you it's, got someone giving you money and you want to stop and say well, no. I need to write a test framework. That's ridiculous. No, I'm saying number one. Look at look at how open source software has changed the world. People are intrinsically motivated to work on it. And 
and it provides value and influence. So Craig, you write this awesome test framework for this new emerging language, and guess what? Next thing you know, people want you to come and consult and train and, and help other people use it. And maybe someone approaches you to buy it out because you you figure out how you retain some type of some hey, time back. That's great, but I don't give up my current job to do that. Well, but that's what I'm saying. If you if you are intrinsically motivated to do that, like many people but are. But I'm not going to give my current job up to do that. What I was going to say. I, I might do it in a couple months when maybe, I finish my current job. Well, or maybe it's, you know, it's a hobby job. You know, it's it's something right, that you're I'm intrinsically. Not, I'm, not, I'm not going to spend the company's money that's paying me to say, wait, I'm not going to deliver anything for two months because I got to go write a test framework. I want to be agile and I want to deliver something on the first week. Well. I there there are scenarios. On that one. No, no, I, no, there are. You can't be stumped. Are you saying you can't be stumped? I'm just saying that there you is. We need a, to talk about your ego on an episode. No, no. I just am saying that there are there is there are business scenarios where that idea of saying, "Hey, maybe I stop work, but I'm going to do this strategic build this thing that may provide greater values long term." All right, I challenge you to quit your job. Start that business right now. But see, pe- people do that. No, they, no, see, 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 you, you made a cost-benefit analysis, didn't you? And that wasn't worth it. Well, no, no, because I don't have a plan. I mean, I don't have a, if I had a test framework idea plan, um, I would go work on it, but I don't have one right you now. You would so quit your job and go work on it. If I had an idea like that, I would do that. Um, you've never had a good idea since you've worked at your current company. I've had ideas, but I've also have leadership that is very open to discussions. And so we've talked about ways to pursue them as part of what I currently do. So that's just put us away. Careers are individual choices and there's advantages to working independently and there's advantages to working in all types of organizations. And my call actually as a coach, you know, as a, as, as a career coach, my, when I work with clients, I challenge them to say, go out and make sure that you're in a scenario that meets your needs. And if you're not do something about it. So Make sense? Not really. I still so you're you're telling me to put a low risk scenario on hold for a high risk scenario. Well, that's what I'm saying. If that's something you really have passion for, figure out a way to do it. And if your current well, yeah, but 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 that doesn't passion is different from my current cost benefit analysis on whether I should do it now. Well, no, but you're in an environment where you don't have no. An yes, no, no, you're in an environment where you don't have an R and D budget. If you were in an organization that had an R&D budget, either something that you provided to yourself or an organization. What part of, what part of, what part of independent contractor didn't you hear? I oh. don't, the, the company I am, that is paying me to write software and this scenario isn't going to pay me extra to write the test framework so because Craig, there's, it provides no immediate benefit to them. So Craig, what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to think, be more than just an independent contractor. I want you to be just, you know, this is me talking to you as a career coach. I want you to be more like your own little firm where, you know, you figure out a way that long term you have your own little internal R&D budget. And so that's fine. It doesn't help the situation for this customer I'm with this week. Okay. Okay. So that's that's what I'm trying to talk about. How am I supposed to solve this customer's problem today when there is no test framework for them? You've got this old pie in the sky thing, but it doesn't help my current situation when I don't have a test framework. And I'm using a new technology to help a customer meet his needs. So that so this goes back to this would be a scenario where you don't do any type of automated testing simply because there's no way to do it. Yes. No. 
I would probably find a simple way to do unit tests sort of as a spot checking thing. Because you can always write a a simple unit test, right? You can you can always say assert one plus one equals you two. You can write code to call code. So I mean then eventually to me that's where test frameworks come from because people figure out right. patterns and but, they extract. But you those. can't necessarily when when you get into trouble it's more complex things like how do I test you know a whole website. Yeah. Or yeah. How do I mock out but if you're um, testing a whole web... How do I mock out a complex API is usually where you get in real trouble. Yeah, but if you're testing a whole website, that's, again, where, guess what, we've got frameworks and products that can do that. Right, right. Well, I was, I was making an example. The complex API that I need to mock out is usually where you fall down. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree, and that's what there's the frameworks play that. But if that's what you're building right now, you could do some level of... Well, put it this way, I want to call it acceptance testing. You know, so to me, again, every... Yeah, yeah, I would... Every scenario is different, Craig. So what I would challenge you to think about is, are there ways that, okay, maybe you can't do buy the book TDD because you don't have a, a, a unit level framework to test with, but ultimately you're building something that, that presents data that is consumable, right? Either it's visual or it's a service or whatever. Yes, I hope. Or is it, is it setting out ethos? <laughs> so right. to me, maybe it's where, you know, okay, guess what? Take, Take the Janet Gregory, Lisa, uh, Lisa Crispin test pyramid, you know, take that thing, pretend you never saw it because we're not going to have beautiful <laughs> unit. We're not going to have beautiful unit tests, but maybe because of the nature of your environment, you know what? Hey, we're going to go a little heavy on acceptance tests that we drive through a web interface and we effectively do, you know, more of a acceptance test driven development approach. So we get that validation and we have tools available to do that. And then long term, so, after you do this project, you fund an R and D budget for your little firm, and then you could do that strategic thing that's going to make you that's going to make you famous. So I think I think launch the rockets is one of the things you know you want to mock out, but it's hard to test if you actually launch the rockets, right? You know, my my I, I I'm writing lock, ro- rocket launching code, okay, and I don't have very many spare rockets, you know, to to test with. So I'm somehow going to have to mock that out. And that API is so complicated right. that none of... I have a hard time. I have well, a hard time. I have a hard time mocking out an entire rocket's function. Okay, but you've got a thing there that's your... I mean, if it's an API, I'm, I'm struggling. And again, I, I'm just learning about this myself as you're describing it. I'm struggling. If you never use soap, soap is very complicated. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm struggling to say how you couldn't have another, let's say another computing node running one of the test products or frameworks out there that calls in and does acceptance level testing of your stuff. So it's not going to be fine-grained unit testing because whatever technology you're using doesn't have a unit framework. Fine. But there is still there is still significant value that you would get from having that acceptance level testing that given the unique scenario you have described I think would provide value. And I would, I, I, so, so that may or may not be the case. I mean, I could probably, if, if I'm, if I'm able to mock out that back end, but I said, that's probably the part that I'm going to have trouble with. If I can mock out that back end, then I can use Selenium and Cucumber or, you know, on, on any language pretty much. And I can mock out a, a I, I can acceptance test a web framework if I can mock out the back end. But I'm saying if you can't mock out that back end in a reasonable amount of time, you might have to punt. Well, now, or or not, is it just you need to, to examine the problem, you know, to say that, 
I know I've worked in environments where we we had brittle. So, so I, have, like, I have a three week project, and it's gonna take five weeks to write a test framework to mock out what I need to mock out. What do I do? Help me, help me, Jason, help me. I'm thinking. Thinking takes time. So, am I allowed to think, or is this where I just have to talk? To me, this is where. Uh, let me ask you this: Did you know this going into it? Um, like the nature know. of the tech stack, and so the say, it's, hey, it's just a scenario here. Well, um, I I've actually run into. I've actually had a, we'll call it a permanent job, where I was working uh, with some cloud stuff, and I ended up writing a, um, a web framework, well, a a, a small web app. Using a framework I wasn't familiar with, um, that I was constrained to, and didn't have a test framework to help me, and you know didn't have the opportunity to write one, or really the knowledge of that stack to write one, um, and so I was at a loss. I had to do the best I could. I wrote without tests except for unit testing some of my. Um, I did, I did have unit tests, but I had no acceptance or integration tests. See, uh, so I had to live with that, and there wasn't much I could do about it due to my constraints that I had. Well, and I guess the reason why I was asking if you, if you knew this when you started the engagement or the support is, is this an opportunity from Agile where we talk about customer collaboration? Really, customer collaboration over contract negotiation to say that, hey, we started this, you know, we started this project. And I mean, to me, it's like it was that it's, the thing that, that just popped in my head, Craig, was the story that Woody Zool told when we had him on about no estimates. And it was the story that, hey, you hire a contractor to work on your kitchen for three weeks and you've got this glorious plan to make it beautiful. And he goes over and he rips out the cabinets and he finds the floors rotting because the pipes leaking. <laughs> and at that point, it's like, hey, we just uncovered this to me and having done a renovation where that kind of happened. You have a conversation. What do you want to do? I could get it done on the same budget, same timeline, but I'm going to have to make it basic because I I got to fix the pipes, okay? You don't want me to put your new cabinets and everything on top of the rotten floor with the leaky pipes because it's just all going to go it's just all going to go downhill. Or hey, this test framework is going to provide long-term value to your organization that's building this new product. What could we do to talk about that? Maybe we say that our initial release is going to be a little bit less because we are going to be building this framework that like we've already established here, that's going to slow us down, but it's going to provide long-term value. And if your organization you're supporting understands that, again, Agile calls us to be partners with our clients. So to me, it's give and take. So maybe it's a little bit longer engagement for you. The client gets more value. They get their product and they get a framework that they can use to maintain their product going forward. But did the benefit outweigh the cost? Well, to me, and again, this is... To you. I no, it, that, that's, you're just making stuff up now. No, I'm not. I'm being completely I'm serious. saying the cost probably will outweigh the benefit. And I would advise them not to spend that cost. But but I guess I don't know enough about the pro the the product to say is it is it you like, can't you can't even imagine a cost outweighing a benefit I don't think no I'm 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 you, very, you're 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 so zoned into that TDD is the right thing to do you can't even imagine a scenario 
Well, put it this way, I've seen a lot of data where there's been challenges, and I've also seen and been successful in some environments about talking about, you know, again, working with stakeholders to say, here are the trade-offs. And if anything, my role typically as a consultant is to say, you know, I, I, I respect whatever decisions you make. I'm simply here to advise and consult and give, give some advice and help you understand pros and cons. And at that point, I've... I've talked through the exact scenario that I've almost described here with 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 clients to say this this is the trade-offs and or hey you've identified a unique need here that's something we didn't know about are we okay if if we focus if we shift our focus for the next 2 weeks and we figure out a way that we could do you know automated you know we could fake out the back end you were talking about so that guess what if the back end goes down we don't have to stop development because we can fake it out is that okay? And people have said, yeah, it sounds good because I don't want to be down if the back end goes down. So, hey, go, go, go take care of that for us, you know, and working with your customer as a partner, you should have those conversations and then figure out what to do. And guess what? You win some and you lose some. So you got to, you got to be prepared to handle it, but you should have that conversation, Craig. I, I'm shocked that as a consultant, you found a way to gouge the company for more money. Well, no, that's, that's I think, Craig, that, Craig. That's a disrespect. Or that you recommended that that you recommended that they spend more money. Well, but Craig, actually, I mean, Craig, I would, no, Craig, I'm going to call uh, it. Craig. So you didn't say anything about cost benefit analysis in there at all, Craig. Actually, and, no, and you seem incapable of saying that. No, Craig, I'll be completely honest because you know what that 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 that's. Have you ever had a situation where you said that the customer should not spend more money on testing? No, but here here's what consulting is in the agile space. Okay. And, and maybe this is where I'll share from my background and having, I'll share with John, having invested significant time to go to business school, some of the things that actually teach you there. And again, you're working Apparently with- Apparently not cost-benefit analysis. Well, you're working within a run rate. So to me, it's saying that you have an investment that you're making and you're talking about the investment. What, do you, what provides the greatest value to the organization? And at that point, it's it's a conversation where again, how come how come it never happens that that testing is too costly? How come that never happens for you? That testing is too costly. We talk about pros and cons, and we make decisions. And why, and, why, I, and I guess when why, I say, why have you never come up with a situation where testing was too costly though? Because we talk about the potential costs and rework if you don't do it. And at that point, people decide to say, let's do it. How did you analyze the cost and the benefits in, in numbers? Because I, I looked at, I looked at the, the cost of defect. I look at like defect density and your code base and to say, hey, if we have a defect here, we get historical data about response time. And we look at a run rate to say what that costs. And we say that, okay, if we can put practices in place where we can prevent that cost from occurring later on when it's the most expensive to resolve, do right. we want to invest in that? So, yes, is it whoa, like- whoa, 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 But what was the cost? Where, where, where do you draw the line? You don't seem to have a line. That's what I'm saying. You, you've got, oh, hey, look, we save all this money, but how does that compare to the cost? You've never given me that. So if I have a defect, so if I have a team and, I, and I, we work in pairs and I have a team that people work together and let's say they- let's say a dev day per person costs me like 500 bucks or whatever a person. Okay. And I have a critical defect and I get, I have data that shows I get on average, 
I get four of those a week because I don't have automated tests that catch problems and I have to fix them in production and do a lot of work. And my resolution time on each of those defects for a developer pair is two and a half days of work. And then I say on an average, I get, you know, we get, say, if we say it's, I got to write the math down here now. You want a business case. Um, so, but you've, you've never had a case where the cost outweighed the benefit. Why is that? You, you're, you keep talking in circles that, Yes, that, 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 that there's a benefit. I but guess, how, come, I, it never, how so, come it never ends up the other way? So put it this way, I guess, Craig, the, the, the challenge that I, I do have are, is... Are, are, your, are your teams just good enough that they never spend a lot of cost? Or is there something else going on? I think we're... Put way, I'm in an environment where a lot of times we implement the practice of test-driven development up front. So it's hard to have the side by side where here's the team that tests and here are the team, here's the team that doesn't test and be able to look at quantitative data side by side to see the true cost. Okay. That's, a- I think, I think a lot of it is, is that you and all the teams you've worked with have sort of a dream scenario where you've already got the testing frameworks in place and you, you've, you've got large enough projects where you have runway to spend the, the to amortize the cost. I, I think you're just on a, a different set of projects than the wide variety that the real world could throw at you would have. Well, but this way, I, I choose as a career choice to work in you know the large organization space where those characteristics I believe you described are true. But that's a choice so, that so, I'm entitled right, right. But you, to make, and you. Right. You I'm just saying you don't to seem work. to. Uh, well, I, the, I tend to work in larger engagements as well, um, usually smaller teams though. Um, but I, I think you, you're, you're lacking the imagination that, that there could be a situation where the cost outweighs the benefit. And, and I'm saying there are those situations. They're going to be few and far between. We're talking about the edges here. We're not talking about most situations. Most situations, I agree, you should do TDD at pretty much the, the unit level, the uh, integration level, and the, the user acceptance. Have a nice, pretty test pyramid. Yes. Yes. Um, although I disagree with that a tiny bit, I, I've oh, seen, yes. I've, I've seen, I've seen situations where user acceptance tests could be, if they're done well, that they are get easy enough that you don't have to worry about having the, uh, such a small number. Um, but it's, it's really hard to get there. Yeah. All right. Next, next quick topic. Um, oh. I was going to say, what's the last word on that whole thing? So, because I was going to say, you know, Craig, in the spirit of, oh, we have, we have spent enough time. Well, but you know, I was going to say, just in the spirit of having, like, you've had Woody on, you know what? I don't doubt that your scenario exists. And, and again, if you're truly starting, I know, I know that scenario, that episode, um, you and John and Amos did where you talked about building infrastructure. That's a good example. There's no unit test framework for yeah. that. So, yeah, um, and, and I remember I was, since I've done a lot of work with, work with helping to deploy cloud products to minimize deployment times, you guys, uh, I don't understand why we want to go and build infrastructure when we could just get it off of, uh, get it off the shelf basically. But um, <laughs> that's what I said that whole episode. Yeah. So, so to me, I, this way, that's a great example. So I, I fully agree that your scenario may exist, but Again, my background and such is kind of in environments and, and, and the nature of my work is to say that, you know, let's talk about, you know, benefits and risks and make decisions. And at that point, I haven't most people have decided to see that the the ability to mitigate risk and avoid cost associated with risk. There, 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 are, there are there are advantages to that that people are interested in. So. 
So what's your other bonus topic here that will take us to some other weird place, I'm sure? Uh, I'm not sure if we've got time. Um, Amos mentioned that uh, I had told him once that never call a vote unless you already know the outcome. And you called me out on that. I did. I did. And that's a good one to talk about because to me, I think it's leading. I I think that uh, I would say that if anything, you were you were trying to in in our last topic, trying to say that I'm leading people on that. Oh, you always need a test. You know, that's that to me, that's like saying, hey, we're having a conversation about trade offs, about about, you know, testing pros and cons. And when the discussion gets to the point that we've kind of wrecked the influence diagram to where it's favorable, we call the question right then and we vote on it, which which to me, again, that's. That's not respectful. It's like everyone should be able to speak their mind, talk things out, and when we when everyone shared their ideas, then we vote. And all right, so I would only use this when I want to win the vote. <laughs> when, when, and that's not actually all the time, right? So sometimes I want the group to decide. Other times I want. So when when I'm coaching, we had talked about this before. I think the last time I was on. Sometimes. When you're coaching, you do need to lead the team in a direction that you believe is best for that team, even though they might not see that direction. I think that's when I would use this. I, so I, I do use this sparingly. Most of the time, we're at a retrospective. We're talking about a topic. I'm not going to use that. We're, we're going to dot vote or whatever. It's sort of when we have a, a big thing like, I think the team might not want to pair program and I'm trying to introduce pair programming. That's where I would pretty much use this. I know pair programming works and I know it's going to work in the situation that, that I'm facing. Uh, I'm going to talk to each individual. Um, like, like we said in separate episode 78, I'm going to find what their concerns are, address them individually instead of as a group um, and sort of when people over one by one um by the way this is how congress works too as i say it's it's that's campaigning 101 so um put this way if you're if you're if you're eliciting team or organizational change and you're there as a change agent and and you hit resistance and you you believe you hypothesize that there would be value in adopting a new practice put it this way it's there's nothing wrong with that However, I think you also need to be respectful to the people and also to the organization to say that, you know what, it might not work. I mean, pairing is a social activity. And if you have people at their core that don't want to be social (laughs) and you try to force it, oh, oh, fun stuff happens. And again, put this way, some organizations out there have tried to do that, Um, especially in the space that the, you know, the large organization space where, you know, people, you know, actually today is um, today's it's late April. There actually was an article in the wall street journal today about Humana. Humana's got people pair programming in healthcare. Oh my goodness. So guess what? Everyone's going to want to pair program in healthcare. But what the article in the wall street journal didn't talk about is that Humana hired specific people that wanted to work in a collaborative manner. And so they do that. So if you, you know, just set up pairing workstations to say, go pair, that doesn't work. So you got to be smart about what you're doing. And and I guess at that point, Craig, is if you are trying to elicit organization change, there is the value of doing some campaigning and then making sure that the group has concurrence, that that's what they want to do after you do your campaigning. I actually don't think I call that a vote. I would actually just call that concurrence, which in my opinion is different. 
than a vote. A vote would be a truly democratic activity, which is where I think I was calling you out because you were you're advocating for exactly something I agree with here totally because you want to you want to elicit change. So does that make sense? Uh, I'm not sure of your distinction between a vote and would you call it concurrence? Concurrence. Mm. It's it's a it's basically where you're asking for people to say yes I agree with that versus I either agree or don't agree and the number one in law there's different there's different uh, uh, distinctions for how that when that's when you ask for concurrence versus when you vote but then more importantly just the social dynamics it's it's one thing to raise your hand and say yes I agree and that's my only choice versus I can really agree, disagree, or effectively abstain. So so those are two different ways about getting the same outcome though. Yeah, but so, again to I mean they're both they're both psycho psychological and social uh manipulation. Well they are and, and to the people to, 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 to the credit of people in law, they've studied it extensively and if you've ever um having worked with a lobbyist before in DC uh for some work that I did uh, in a different context, the lobbyists understand how do you want to put your bill through the house? There's different ways to call. There's different ways to call a vote, and based upon the nature of what you're trying to do, certain 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 voting mechanisms have better outcomes based upon kind of how people are polling and such. So, put it this way: I, I like this conversation because these are the type of things that if you're if you are if you are a coach who's working to elicit change. You need to have an influence map. You need to kind of, like Craig's saying, you need to have some both team conversations, but you also need to work one-on-one with people. So these are all things you should be doing to help you be successful in helping organizations and or teams improve. So, so Craig, what have we got out of this tonight? What, what did we do? We, uh, as Lee would say, we've just burned up a bunch of bits on the internet. Uh, what did you get we've out of this? We've added to the... Uh pile of podcasts that people can listen to yeah well so what'd you get out of tonight i mean or or how about you i, I we, we should craig what's the question who should go first and share their takeaways you or me i i don't i don't feel we need to do takeaways well, I, mean, uh, last first word. All, I don't first of all i'm not sure this episode was much about takeaways for myself as me giving feedback on on previous topics I don't know. I want to say I, I appreciate our conversation, Craig, because it did kind of like I said at the onset, it um, it helped me connect with my inner child because like you like you. <laughs> well, no, but like you challenged me. I'm 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 a perpetual optimist. And so, yes, I'm going to propose things that I do value and that 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 I have seen many times provide significant value. And because I'm committed to that, I'm going to like like we like the episode with Woody Zool. I'm going to ask hard questions and say, you know, why can't we do that? Or why are you concerned about that cost? Or why, or kind of more the what if, you know, what if we don't do this, you know, and talk those through and, and be very focused to that. So, so in that, I guess I offer that as kind of my, my, my closing statement about why I wasn't able to answer your question about the cost benefit analysis directly. Like I think you were looking for. This week's hottest picks. So we've got some picks tonight. So um, I'll I'll do mine first because there's only two of us. So this should be the fastest picks ever. So 
Um, so I got two. Um, one is a book, and it's a book that I was uh, I used recently for just to have some fun because I was thinking about careers, honestly. And there's a book called Business Model You, and we'll put the link to check it out on Amazon on the show notes. But if you're familiar with the Business Model Canvas, which we've talked about before, this is a way that you can apply a modif- a modified version of the Business Model Canvas to your resume and or sorry to your career and where i was where i mentioned resumes i've actually i actually know a colleague who's done this activity he's done this this kind of personal business model canvas and he now kind of uses it as his resume when he goes out and talks to people about jobs so um check it out it's it's a neat idea um it's one of many ideas in the space about career evolution but uh, we'll uh, check it out love to know if you guys think about it. it's called business model you and the other one that I'll just mention is another live event. We've got 80,000 live events going on here. And uh, this is where we're going to do a three-hour workshop on games based upon Lean and Kanban principles. This is at the, um, it's at the David Anderson Conference, as we call it, or Lean Kanban North America, down in uh, Miami Beach, Florida, June 8, 9, and 10. So this workshop is actually on the last day of the conference. It's on workshop day, which is Wednesday the 10th. So uh, come down and check it out. It's actually in the very last time slot. So it's... Uh, it's going to be a blast. We're going to blow it out. So um, lots of crazy games. So uh, Craig, what do you have? All right. Uh, my first pick is a blog post from Jessica Kerr. Uh, she posted it today or yesterday, actually. Uh, she calls it data versus awareness. Um, and she's got a great idea here for retrospectives. Um, so what they do is in their Slack channel, uh, if someone's, something's bugging you, they've got a little emoticon. And they'll put the little emoticon and write what's bugging them. And they've got something also, if something's making them happy, they have a separate emoticon for that. And at the end of the week, they gather up all those posts to Slack and they make a word cloud. Uh, they make one for the positive things and one for the negative things. And then they know what to talk about at Retro. Now, the brilliant thing about this is that at a Retro, you're going to forget what happened throughout the week or two or three between Retros. And as she points out, you're most likely to remember the most, the peaks, the peaks and the, the la- the most recent things. Um, so, you know, if something made you emotional, you'll probably remember that thing. Otherwise you'll probably remember the most recent thing that happened. Like if yesterday was a good day, you'll think that your week was, was a good week. And there's actually a lot of scientific, uh, studies to back that kind of thing up. Um, so, She's actually using data or her team is using data to um, sort of get over that uh, little scientific fact that you're not going to remember everything equally. So they do that by gathering data throughout the week and then addressing it at the end of the week at the retro. All right. Uh, My second pick is an article by Malcolm Gladwell in The New Yorker. So if you're allergic to his writing, stay away from it. Um, it's called The Engineer's Lament, and it, it goes, it's a pretty long article. Well, most things in the New Yorker are, I suppose. Um, and it goes through sort of the, the, the ways that engineers think and trade-offs and things like that. Interesting. Those are great. Actually, the, uh, the retro one sounds really interesting you mentioned, Craig. So we'll have to check that out. So 
Well, guess what? That's all the time we have for this episode of This Agile Life. So we'll have some, we'll make sure we put our show notes out that we'll have these picks and as, as well as some interesting notes about all the wonderful, interesting things that Craig and I discussed today. So, Craig, thanks for coming out tonight. Did you have fun? Thanks, uh, I suppose. Well, that's a yes or no question. Jeez. Uh, I can't talk about pros and cons or, co- sorry, I can't talk about cost benefit. You- part of the time. Oh, fun part of the time. Okay. Well, guess what? That could be the next joke we don't answer is what part was fun and what part wasn't. So, but most importantly, we hope you guys had fun tonight and you might have learned something tonight and or I think tonight we definitely made a lot of people think. So, um, we'd love to hear what you thought about. So, give us some feedback. You can reach us uh, via our website at thisagilelife.com or you can follow us on Twitter and of course send us feedback on Twitter at This Agile Life. So that's all for this episode and most importantly keep living This Agile Life. We'll talk to you again real soon. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.